morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to turn to the book of Romans. As uh, you know, we're going through that and find ourselves in chapter 5 and verse 12. We just have a few verses to read today from verse 12 down to 16 of Romans chapter 5. The good thing about this, of course, is we're able to build up week by week and therefore see how things develop. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Amen. May God's word touch our hearts. I mean, I think there's something special about the privilege of just taking our time slowly going through this wonderful book of Romans about the the gospel of God so that we can appreciate the different aspects and the different dimensions and angles that are part of the gospel because it's something that is enormously rich. It is something that's tremendous. And just to keep it slow and to really get the benefit of thinking about these different angles so that we can appreciate all the more the greatness of this gospel concerning our Lord Jesus Christ that the book of Romans describes. I remember reading about a chap um, who said that whenever he was a bit weary and tired and uh, felt in need of a holiday, that he used to take a trip into the 17th century. Now what he meant by that was that he used to frequently read the writings of the the Puritans, the Christians, who wrote from a way back in those days. And the thing about them was this, that these were people who really had a grasp of the gospel. They didn't rush over it. They didn't say, oh, that's the basics. Let's, let's, Let's kind of move on to something that's a bit deeper and a bit more important. No, no, they stayed there and they dwelt there and they developed that and they thought about it and they enjoyed the gospel of Christ. And there's nothing like the gospel. Absolutely nothing like this, this message from God concerning his son that can bring us salvation through faith in his blood. There is nothing like it for the Christian to to thrill their souls 
and to give them a sense of joy to think about what the gospel is. There's nothing like it as far as a church is concerned to give it this sense of of renewal and a catalyst of what we're all about. It's about the gospel and enjoying that and preaching it and sharing it and seeing people being changed by it. And so today... We're going to come to one of these other dimensions, these, these other angles that we haven't come across yet that helps us appreciate the greatness of it. And it's to do with this contrast between Adam and Christ, the difference between Adam and Christ. Now, both of these names are mentioned in our reading, in our passage But really, it's just one man that is being highlighted. I mean, Adam's name is mentioned as well as Christ's name. But Adam's name really is only there to act as a contrast so that we can appreciate all the more the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he stands head and shoulders above He is away and beyond Adam or any other personality as far as that is concerned. Because Christ is the gospel. And uh, this is about what one man can do. What Christ has done and what he can do. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the contrasts uh, between them. First of all, we'll, we'll talk about what is said about Adam in verses 12 to 14. And then we'll talk about what is said about Christ in verses 15 and 16. Now, there are four things that I'd like to point out this morning that are said about Adam, starting as we have done in verse number 12. And the first thing that is said about Adam is this, that sin came into the world by Adam. Just as sin came into the world through one man. Adam, if you like, was the portal. Adam, Adam was the entry point, uh, the door by which this contagion, this curse, this poison of sin gained its entrance and infiltrated into our world. And we need to think about sin in those terms. There was an awful influence that invaded humanity through the decision of this one man. And the, the result of that has, has blighted everything. Every aspect of our world and our lives. It has affected fundamentally our relationship with our maker and creator God. It has affected as well our relationships with each other. Because of its effect on selfishness. It has affected even the environment that we live in. Such a topical thing today. But to get back to what scripture teaches. That our environment itself has been affected by the curse of sin. And by the activity of human, pe- human beings who are affected themselves by sin. I want you to notice in, almost in passing here under this point. That this is affirming. The reality and the truth that there was a man called Adam. It is affirming the early chapters of the book of Genesis. 
And of course we in our day and age have almost uh, swallowed the myth of, of evolution. And it's, it's kind of popular almost to denigrate these early chapters of the Bible and say that they're not actually true at all. But the point is that Adam is used as part of this argument here that develops the truth of the gospel of Christ. So if you do away with Adam, you're actually doing away with the gospel as well. You cannot exclude one and then have the other. They both work hand in hand. I don't think many Christian people sometimes grasp the importance of that point. The integration of the entire Bible. We must have these early chapters of the book of uh, of Genesis for everything else to make sense. The gospel is tied into it. That's why this contrast is being made between Adam and Christ. So let's hold to all of the Bible, including these early chapters of Genesis. Sin came by this one man, Adam. Secondly, death also came into the world by him and death through sin death is the natural consequence of sin now we understand this in in two main ways one is that obviously people die we we all get sick tragedies and accidents happen we become older and frailer and we don't live Forever, And as the verse says, death spread. Death spread in the world. In those early days, if you go back, for instance, to, to Genesis chapter 5 and, and flick through that chapter, it's become known as the, the cemetery chapter of the Bible. The cemetery chapter. Because it talks about... All the descendants of Adam, many of whom at that time lived a lot longer than we live. And yet, verse after verse, there's a a repeated death knell. And he died, and they died, and they died. Irrespective of the success of their life, irrespective of what they achieved, or how many family they had, or how long they lived for, time and time and time again, They died. They died. And this is the message that sin came by Adam and death is the result of sin. Of course, there is a second way to understand this. And the second way is not just physical death, but it is spiritual death. There is such a thing as spiritual death. It's not just physical death that the Bible talks about. Spiritual death is is really a reference to our separation between God. God said that to Adam at the time. In the day that you disobey, in the day that you eat of this, you will surely die. And what that meant was that at that moment, there was a vast separation immediately took place between God and Adam. Their fellowship was cut off. And that is the case in our world and that is the case for all of us as we are born into the world separation death between us and between God the third thing 
about Adam that's said here, and this takes a wee bit of explaining. It's towards the end of verse 12. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, there's a couple of ways to think about this. The first one, obviously, is that Scripture is very clear on the fact that sin, this principle of sin, this, this poison, this contagion, is almost like a, a, it's almost like a congenital illness. Some illnesses that, that get passed on from parents to children. Sin is like that. And so when people are born, when the smallest baby is born, they're not born in a kind of neutral sense of innocence. We are born with this tendency to sin. That's what the Bible means when it talks about original sin. Yes, it's talking about Adam's sin, but it means that fundamentally every human person, to quote Psalm 51, is born in sin and shaped in iniquity. That's what David said. He, he said that when he, his, his great sin with Bathsheba was exposed. But when he looked at himself, that was the conclusion. I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity from the point of conception. This principle of sin. Sin passed upon all men. It spread to all men. And all have sinned. But the second important point when it talks about all sinning is this. That we have sinned in Adam. Now let let me try and explain that just a little bit more. This is the concept that Adam stands as the kind of representative, if you like, of the human race. The first person. The first man, the head of the human race. And he acts on our behalf. He represents all of humanity who was going to emanate and be born from him and his line. We all trace our genealogy back to Adam. And what Adam did and what Adam decided and what Adam chose to do and say. It has an effect on all of us. As verse 17 puts it, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Now, if I can try and just give an an example. For instance, the the Prime Minister. The Prime Minister acts as the representative of the British people. And so if he signs a treaty, like Brexit, then, then all of us are affected by that. If war was ever declared, that declaration that he signed as our representative, it would affect every single one of us. He represents us. And Adam is like this. Adam signed away our privileges And our freedom. And Adam made a decision. To rebel against God. And all the misery. And all the death. And all the condemnation. That he introduced. Sadly. That has passed upon all of us. 
that has come to us all. We sinned in in Adam. Now, in verses 13 and 14, there's a, a little explanation that is given about, about, about sin. And it's almost as if somebody is saying, well, sin is breaking God's law. But, but God's law wasn't given until Moses' time. So what about all the people that lived between Adam and Moses? Well, what he says is this, that sure, yeah, I get that. There were people who, who didn't sin in the way that Adam sinned, in that Adam was given a commandment and he broke it. When Moses gave the law, people then had the law there that they could, they could define sin from, uh, and, and they knew what sin was now, and sin could therefore be measured and understood in terms of the Ten Commandments, and they chose to break it. Yes, but there were people who didn't know about it in those terms, and therefore sin is not counted where there is no law, but nevertheless, death still reigned. It reigned from Adam's time down to Moses. There was still the effect of sin, even although people didn't understand it in its tabulated form, if you like. Let's just move on to the fourth point about Adam. Very interesting. See this at the end of verse number 14. It says, fourthly, about Adam, that he was a type of the one who was to come. It's a strange word. Type. I think what we should think about are, are typewriters. All right? The type that stri- strikes the ribbon and the letters and the words appear. Typesetting. Adam, in a sense, was like that as far as his contrast with Christ is concerned. He was a type of Christ. There was a picture, there was an image, there was a representation. We could understand something about Christ from what we read about Adam. And of course, this concept of of typology is something that's very common throughout the whole of the Old Testament. And many of the New Testament writers take up some of the individuals, Moses, Joshua, others, the tabernacle, the sacrificial system. They are all pictures, patterns, types of Christ that he would have taken up for instance on the road to Emmaus Luke chapter 24 he began in Moses and all the scriptures and he spoke to them about the things concerning himself and that's of course one of the ways that we need to learn increasingly to read our Bible to see Christ in all the scriptures the types and the shadows that are there in the Old Testament and Adam here is a type of the one who was to come. And this is where we need, of course, to, to turn away from Adam now, and what is said about Adam, and see the contrast that is highlighting the greatness of the one man, the great man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is said about Christ? Now, there's two things I want to uh, point out. Uh, to you here in verses 15 and 16. There are more, and that will be developed by Kevin uh, next week uh, when we come to it. But uh, first of all, 
I'd like to say something from verse 15 about Christ's gift. His gift. It talks about the free gift not being like the trespass. What did Christ do? Christ has a gift. And that gift is in real contrast, if I can use my inverted commas, to Adam's gift. What was Adam's gift? Adam's gift was death. Adam's legacy was sin. And it was death. And the gift of Christ is nothing like that. The gift of Christ is much more than that. The gift that Christ gives, it abounds to us. And it it is a free gift that the Lord Jesus offers to us. And this gift only comes through Christ. It's through one man. Of course, the apostles taught that, didn't they, very clearly. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is the only Savior and he offers this free gift of grace, of justification, of being credited with all the righteousness of Christ, clothing me, put to my account, not just pardoned and healed and restored and forgiven, that'd be good enough, but having all of Christ's righteousness counted to me. And we don't have to earn that. Christ freely offers it to us. That's the gift. That's what Christ, that's what this one man can do through his precious blood that we've been thinking about, shed upon the cross at Calvary. Let me quote to you a couple of verses that highlight this point about the free gift of God. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. All of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Drink without money and without price. What what imagery? The free gift that will satisfy our souls that we don't have to contribute to. We put out the empty arms of faith and we receive what Christ has done in his death upon the cross. John chapter 4. The woman at the well, Jesus says, if, if you really knew the gift of God, if you knew that gift, and, and you knew the one who was offering it to you, you, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water to satisfy your soul. And that, that is our message, isn't it? Week by week. The gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and, and we are asked to receive that. It's being offered to us. doesn't mean it was cheap. It was terribly expensive. As far as Christ and what he had to experience and endure when he gave himself. Tremendous cost. 
at Calvary as we've remembered this morning. But but the benefits are offered to us. Second thing I want to say about Christ is about the result of this gift. The, The consequences, if you like. Verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. So what it says about his sin is this. That that one sin of Adam brought in condemnation. God condemns the world because of that. In contrast to that, the free gift... It follows on after many trespasses. Just think of all the sins. I mean trespass means crossing the line. Stepping over the line that God has put there. Adam stepped over the line. And the whole of the human race has stepped over the line since then. And just think of the many, many trespasses. And yet this gift... It follows many trespasses and has the ability to bring justification to people. That one act of Christ upon the cross, that one act of righteousness, it has the ability to turn the tide. It has the ability to stem the flow of the curse of Adam's sin. It's not just following one trespass. The whole tide of these many sins that have been committed. That's what, that's, what, that's what this one man can do. That's what Christ's death can do. See how that is highlighted in the contrast that's made with Adam. What a tremendous saviour. I came across an old line from, I think it must be from a poem or a hymn, which said this. A man untouched by Adam's sin. A man unique in origin. All pure without, all pure within. Our blessed Lord. This is what one man can do. It kind of reminds me a little bit of it. Churchill, after the Battle of Britain, speaking to the nation talking about these young aviators, these pilots, and you know the famous line about uh, never in the field of of human conflict has been so much owed by so many to so few. There were only a few of them, and they succeeded. Today we are not just talking about a few. We are talking about one. What one man can do what Christ has done and what he can do for us and that's why we do turn our eyes upon Jesus that is where our focus has to be that's why we have to remember him that's why when Pilate brought out the Lord Jesus before the crowd and he said to them behold the man I mean, I don't know if he was looking for some sort of sympathy vote or whatever. But, but in, in saying that, he said something truer, I think, than he, he actually knew. Because that is the message. The message is for all of us to behold Christ. To look at him. What manner of man is this? 
said the disciples. This is the man, said the writer to the Hebrews, who offered one sacrifice for sins. And that was all that was required. And so today, we behold him. We should behold him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What can one man do? This is it. He's done this. Our attention is turned to Christ today. That is where the gospel should always take us. To turn our eyes upon the Lord Jesus and see what he can, he can do for us. Individuals. Some of us who've never trusted him, who've never come to that point, we can look to Christ and have faith in his sufficiency today. Those of us who are believers to enjoy that again, to, to exult in the greatness of Christ and as a church to recapture the glory of the gospel, the gospel that centers upon Christ. Now shall we pray. Lord, thank you we can turn our eyes to to Jesus. Thank you for what a wonderful Savior he is who stands at the very heart of the gospel. We remember it was said about those in the Mount of Transfiguration that when the whole thing had settled down and passed by, they, they, they saw nobody except Jesus only. And help us this morning to have our eyes fixed on him, to stand amazed in the presence of our Lord Jesus and respond to him and to his free gift of grace in faith. So Lord, we thank you for drawing our attention to the gospel once more and we ask a blessing upon your people, the children, the young people and ourselves as we ask in his name. Amen.